Good morning. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. Um, put a finger there or bookmark that, and we'll also be in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. We'll be bouncing around a little bit this morning, but that's where we'll begin. Um, and while you're turning there, uh, my name is Jay Freimeyer. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're so glad that you're here. As Jeremy mentioned before, we'd love to to get to know you a little bit. We'd love to meet you. And so if you have time after the service, come by and say hi. I'd love to get to know you a little bit. Uh, So this morning, we'll be doing something a little bit different. Last week, we looked at 22 verses in 1 Corinthians 10. This morning, we're going to zoom in on one of those and ask a question coming out of that. And so that's going to be our plan for, for today. Hey, I'll pray for us, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for um, this place and this time that you've given us to come together to worship you, and we pray that you would meet us here in this space, you would give us your spirit to understand the word of God today, that you would help us to know um, what you have written to us and how the things that you have written in your word apply to the suffering and the pain that we feel in our life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I'd like us to begin this morning by considering some lies that we tend to believe culturally. Um, I'm going to give us a few examples, and you might think of some others, but I thought of some this week that are just some lies that we tend to believe. First off is this, if I could just blank, then my life would be so amazing. And you could fill it in with whatever, right? Like if I could just retire, if I could just graduate, if I could just get married, if I could just get my kids to behave... Um, if my candidate could win office, not to step on any toes, like if I could get out of debt, if whatever that is, then my life would be awesome. And it might make our life a little better, but probably not as good as we envision it to be. Here's another one. If only I, I had more time, then I would do blank. Uh, for me, I, <laughs> you're laughing, I remember uh, being in seminary and, and coming out of seminary about to graduate saying, man, I can't wait to graduate seminary. Then I get to read all these books that I want to read, right? For these last few years, they've made me read these books and they've been good books, but I can't wait to read the books that I want to read. And I just did not do that. Um, I've got a whole lot of books. Um, if only we could like learn from books and not have to actually read them, that would be great for me. And some of you are readers and that's not you, but that was my story. Uh, Here's another one. If only I had more money, then I would be happy and content. Now, money can get us a lot of things, and it can bring us temporary happiness, but not deep, lasting satisfaction and contentment. And here's one final one. You can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. Um, I would love to play in the NBA, guys. I would love it. I love basketball. I still play I love watching the game. I love learning the game. I've got a whole lot of things against me, though, don't I? And you know what that you know. I'm short. I'm 5'8". I'm slow. I'm 35 years old, and I have a bad back, okay? Like, it's, it's just not happening for me. Uh, there are 35-year-olds that play in the NBA, and one of them is named LeBron James, so it can be done. It'll just never be done by me, right? You cannot be anything you want to be. Sorry to be Debbie Downer this morning. Now, this was incidental on my part, but I think if we had a two-part mini-series in 1 Corinthians, it could be this, lies in the Bible that we tend to believe. Not, not that, like, the Bible's lying, but, like, lies, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying the Bible's lying. Things that we pull out of the scriptures, and we believe them to be true, but they're not actually in there. So last week, we looked at how our idols can 
um, promise us something that they don't actually deliver on, right? And, and we also looked at briefly like how some of us can view Jesus as this like bully who's waiting for us to come around the corner in our sin and, and point at us and show us like all this sin we have and accuse us of things. When, when in reality, like Jesus' arms are wide open to sinners and he's wanting us to come to him in humility. This morning, I want to look at another one and it's this. God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you guys heard that before? Anybody heard that? God will never give you more than you can handle. And I just want to blow this to pieces, okay? So let's, let's get started. How and why do we believe this? Let's read in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is what we read last week. We'll, we'll, we'll start here. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So this is where that idea originates, right? And it may feel like a very small leap. That sh- hey, God will never let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. And we looked last week that like, we will never be faced with a situation where our only option is to sin, right? Like we never get two choices. One is to sin and the other is to sin. So therefore, I have to sin. No, God's promise here is that that will never happen to us. And so it feels like a small step to say, well, that probably applies to hardships also, like all pain and all suffering, God will never give me more than I can handle. I think another reason that we tend to think and say this is when we talk to someone who's suffering or who's walking through pain, we gotta have something to say, right? Like we we gotta say something. And so like something as small as like, I'm so sorry and I love you feels like not enough. So we say other things like, well, at least God can't, God won't give you more than you can handle. Another reason is is that I think um, we just live on this, highly individualized culture and society. Uh, Tim Challies is a well-known blogger in Christian circles, and, and this idea has been highlighted in his blog, and he says this, such a phrase could only come from the modern West, where we worship the self above all things. As individuals, we believe we are unique, we are creative, and we can overcome anything. We are strong, we are resilient, and we believe in the enduring power of the human spirit. And he says, this is exactly our problem. Now this can make us feel good, right? To believe that like, hey, I can overcome anything on my own. And it's so great in movies. Like some of the best movies are about this very idea. It's just not in the Bible, right? In general, we don't want hardships, right? We don't want, like we don't pursue pain, We want comfort, and therefore, we project that onto God also, that we think that he would also want that for us, right? Like, well, God wants me to be happy and comfortable, and God doesn't want me to deal with hardships and pain. So as you're hearing these things, you may be saying, "Yeah, but yeah, who cares? Like, is it really that, if I believe this, is it that big of of a deal? Like, is it actually harmful to me? And I believe, yes, that it is. So why do I believe that it's harmful to us to believe this? First, because it's untrue, and this one is very important. So Henry has been, he's our seven-year-old, he's been anxious lately, and poor guy, he's just been a walking sermon illustration these past few weeks. Um, <laughs> he, he recently heard something, and he's convinced it's real, and that's this, that in 2,000 years, the earth is going to explode, right? And so he first told me this, and it was like, okay, yeah, buddy, I mean, whoa, that's wild, you know, like we're in trouble. Um, but, and then like, you know, go play. And then he like kept talking about it. It's like, oh, you're like, 
really affected by this. Like you, one, you believe it's true, and you, two, like you think you'll be alive in 2,000 years to experience it, I think. So we started talking about this, and, and I said, you know, who, who told you that? Like, let's have this conversation. And he said, well, a friend at school. And I said, okay, another seven-year-old at school told you that? He said, yeah. And I said, well, well how does he know? Like, who, who told him that? Well, he just knows, daddy. Like, duh. Like, okay, so your friend at school, who's also learning to read and tie his shoes, told you the earth's going to explode in 2,000 years, and you believe him. Well, absolutely, that's it. So it's like, okay, Henry, I love you so much. Like, your friend, he's probably a great hang, like, at recess. He's probably awesome. He has no clue what he's talking about. And it gave us this great opportunity to explain to him, if there are two differing opinions on something, what is true? If you hear something from your buddy at school who can't tie his shoes yet and your dad, who, who should win out? And it's a great lesson for us today. If we hear things that are untrue and contradict the word of God, what is final authority? And we're obviously going to argue this morning that the Bible is that final authority. Now, there are numerous biblical examples where God either has an active role or he passively allows significant pain and hardships to come to his people. A few examples might be Rachel, Joseph, Naomi, Ruth, David, Jeremiah, Paul, and of course, Jesus. In each instance, God is not simply after their comfort and relieving hardships from them. He had something better, something more glorious and God-glorifying in mind for them. And I think that's true for us too. And I think if we looked at this another way, like if we considered the rationale that follows when we say this, that God won't give you more than you can handle. Like I picture this road, I love doing the two-ditch analogy. Like I picture this road, and on this road, like best case scenario, we're saying, ultimately we're saying, you're gonna be all right. Like when we say that to someone, we mean you are going to make it through this. That's what we mean, right? And so on either side, I think there's ditches. And the one side is, is self-idolization, that I just, I gotta toughen up. If God tells me that he's not going to give me more than ha- I can handle, then I've got to figure it out, right? Like I've got to grip my teeth, I've got to pull up my bootstraps, and I've got to make this work. And I think the other side, the other ditch is self-loathing, that this feels debilitating to me. I'm so crushed right now in this pain that I'm feeling. If God said he can't, he's not going to give me more than I can handle, then what is wrong with me? Is my faith not strong enough? to endure this thing that God said he won't give me that's more than I can handle. Again, I believe it's untrue, so we can't believe that. And we've, we've kind of hinted at this, but I think another final reason is just that God ultimately isn't after our comfort. Like, that's not the main thing he wants for us. I believe what he wants for us is that we would come to the end of ourselves and that we'd rest and settle on him and know that he is ultimate for us. And so if these things are true all that I've said so far, then what is true and why is that good news for us this morning? And that's where we'll be the rest of our time. So going back to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, let's read that again. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So I'm going to argue that Paul himself would disagree with this idea that God won't give us more than we can handle. Let's just look at what happened to Paul in his life, starting in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24. 
This is Paul's story. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I just want to zoom in on one of those. Acts 14, 19 talks about that time when he says he was stoned. It says this, but Jews came and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Did you catch that? The only thing that made them put their stones down is, be, is that they thought they did the job. Like they thought they ended his life and they said, well, he's out. Like he's done. We can, we can walk away. And then what happens? Verse 22 strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, Paul began saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. This is Paul's understanding of suffering. This is Paul's understanding of trials. Soon after this, in chapter 12, he begins talking about that thorn in his flesh, if you guys remember that. And, and so Bible commentators and theologians have, have tried to guess what this thorn in the flesh was. And we don't know for certain what it was, but we do know some things about it, that it caused him significant pain and he wanted it to end. He hated it. This is 2 Corinthians 12, 7. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So whatever it was, he hated that thorn. He wanted it to be gone. He pleaded with the Lord to take it away. The same way you and I, when we're in the middle of suffering, we pray that God would change our circumstances. We want it to end. And so what was God's response to Paul? Verse nine, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, this is good and bad, right? Like I think if we're praying this prayer, we're saying, God, remove this circumstance for me. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. That I think is telling us like, hey, the pain's not gonna end, right? Like he's not taking it away. But the good side of that, the good news of that is I'm, I'm with you. My grace is sufficient for you. And when you're weak, I am strong. And then Paul's disposition changes. Again, verse nine. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In the midst of pain, deep, consistent pain, repeated beatings, near-death experiences, danger from everything, his pleading for relief has now turned into strength in the Lord. He remembers that in his own weakness, Christ's power is magnified in him. So why else is this good news? First, when we are weak, then he's strong in us. Next, we see that God is sovereign over suffering and hardships. Whether he allows something to happen or he's actively involved, nothing gets to us apart from his sovereign rule and reign. Let's look at a few examples. We'll start with Paul's here. So it says, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. But who does he pray to for deliverance? He doesn't go to Satan who brought the thorn, right? He pleaded with God. I pleaded with the Lord three times that it should leave me. So Satan caused the pain, 
but the Lord can bring deliverance. In Job, of course I was going to Job. We, we get a picture behind the scenes that Satan can't do anything to Job apart from what God will allow to happen to him. So he was this really wealthy man, like he had a lot of possessions. And in a single day, all of his children died. All of his wealth got taken away. Half of his herds were stolen. The other half were killed. The servants in charge of his animals were struck down. And then soon after that, he develops these sores all over his body. And then his sweet, encouraging wife is there to, to help him walk through all this and says, curse God and die, Job 2.9. So how did Job respond to all of this? Chapter 1, verse 20, he fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord has given and he's taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And to his wife, he said in 2.10, shall we receive good from God and not also receive evil? Job is unwavering in his belief that God is sovereign over pain and suffering. Tim Keller is a pastor out of New York City. Um, and he's someone we reference often and we read his books and I'd encourage you guys to do the same. Um, last year, I think it was last summer, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And so he's been teaching and writing a lot on, on suffering lately. And he recently said this, Job never saw why he suffered, but he saw God and that was enough. And I wonder if that's true for us. Like if we suffer intensely our entire life, and we never see why we suffer, but we get to see God, is that enough for us? Hebrews 11 is what a lot uh, of people in Christian circles will call the hall of faith, right? By faith, Abel offered his sacrifice to God. By faith, Abraham obeyed God. By faith, Sarah conceived. By faith, Moses led the people of God. By faith, Israel crossed the Red Sea. By faith, Jericho fell. But what also happened by faith? Verse 35, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. By faith, others suffered mocking and flogging. By faith, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So what was that which is better? Verse two of chapter 12. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of, uh, throne of God. This is our reward. Not a place, not a thing, but a person. And his name is Jesus. So in success and failures, in easy and hard times, in perfect health, in intense suffering, the promise made to the people throughout the Old Testament has been revealed to us in Jesus. This is our reward. We also must remember that he is with us. Several times throughout the scriptures, he promises to his people that he will be with them. Now, I don't have them up here because there's so many references, but I want you to hear them. Genesis 26, 24, fear not for I am with you and I will bless you. Genesis 28, 15, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Exodus 3, 12, he said, but I will be with you. Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. 
Two verses later, it's the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31, 23. And the Lord commissioned Joshua and he said, be strong and courageous. I will be with you. Joshua 1, 5. Just as I, I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Joshua 1, 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Judges 6, 16. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you. You guys getting tired of this yet? Isaiah 41, 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Matthew 28, 20. Jesus' last words to his disciples. He's commissioning them out. And what does he say? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. In Romans 8, 35 through 39, you guys love this passage, I know. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Is there any better promise in the scriptures? Like we become so fearful and understandably so when we face significant suffering, don't we? I think of uh, Peter when he walked on water, Jesus called him out to walk on water and initially he's doing so great, right? He's walking to Jesus and he's probably thinking like, this is so cool, man, I'm walking on water. And then what happens? He starts to, to look around. He sees the wind and the waves and he becomes fearful and he falls. The same is true for us in the midst of suffering. We can have our eyes on Jesus and initially like we're, we're doing great, like yes, like I can endure this because I'm with, with Jesus and we start to look around. We start to say, how can I endure this? How can I how can I make it through this? But the promise to us is he is with us. And ultimately, this is good news because Jesus, through his suffering, accomplished the final victory on our behalf. Consider what Jesus endured for you and me. Like All of his friends and disciples left him in the end. His closest friend denied even knowing him. The father turned his face away as he hung on the cross, taking your sin and mine to the grave with him. But that wasn't the end. In a few days, his life began to come back into his body. His lungs filled with air and he walked out of that tomb. When we consider what God, like when God took on human flesh and what he did for us, why would we think we're immune from that? Like why would we think that we wouldn't have to face similar things, suffer in similar ways? But let us remember, he did those things for us because of his great love for us. And that when we face those things now, we can draw near to him with confidence, knowing that he has endured similar things, casting all our anxieties on him because he cares for us, 1 Peter 5. And finally, thankfully, we experience these things in community and not isolation. The body of Christ is so constructed that when one of our people rejoices, we all get to rejoice. Like we get to celebrate with someone who's rejoicing. But what's also true, that when one of our people suffers, we all ought to be suffering with them. We hurt together, which is why Paul told the Galatians in 6 to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So even after hearing all this, you, you may still not be convinced that it was worth a, a whole Sunday morning to ask the question, does God really give us more than we can handle? And if you're still wrestling with that, I just wonder if maybe you haven't experienced significant pain and suffering in your life yet because it's coming. 
So for one final uh, reason to convince you that it's necessary is just to look, at, to look at our people, to look at the people of Providence Road and the things that we have experienced collectively. Um, we are not an old church. Um, our church itself is about 10 years old. And the average age of the people in our church is not that high either. I have no way to guess that. Like, I don't know what that is. But it's not high, comparatively speaking. And yet, here are some of the experiences that I know of. I don't even know of them all, but here are some that I know of. We have multiple people in our church who have had cancer. One person needed a series of six to seven events to save his life. And if one of those had not happened in about a 45-minute period, he would not be with us today. And he's with us today. He's right there. Yep. People within our church have experienced sexual abuse, depression, regular, consistent anxiety, alienation by family members, broken relationships with those closest to us, multiple miscarriages and infertility. Some of you were left as orphans. Some of your parents are addicted to drugs and alcohol. We've experienced the death of parents, the death of spouses, and some of us have buried our own children. Now, these are the examples that, that I thought of and that I know of and that have come to mind for me. These and many other things are so much harder than we can bear on our own. Do you guys realize that? Like, it's so difficult for us to carry the weight of these things. But in the midst of them, or just on the other side, there's a closeness to Christ that I'm just not sure we get to experience without having walked through some of these things. Now, do we wish it was another way? Absolutely. Like, do we, do we wish that we could experience real close wa- a walk with Jesus without having to walk through hard things? I would personally absolutely say yes. I wish there was another way. But I'm glad that in the midst of deep pain and hardships, that we can have joy and contentment and steadfast love for Jesus. So what should you do right now if you're in the middle of one of these hardships that I'm talking about, or if you know someone who is. I'd begin by just maybe reciting some of these things that we've gone over this morning to them, reciting them to yourself maybe, and remembering them. I would also go to some of the the verses in scripture that remind us of Christ's enduring work uh, in us and for us. There are a handful of verses that I could give you, but the one that I'll point to this morning is Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Now, what should you do this morning if you're not experiencing hardship or suffering? Or maybe you never have. I would say to you, I would dig a really, really deep well. Like I would dig deep and understand who God is, who Jesus is, what he's done for you, and who you are in light of that. Like I would dig so deep and understand who you are in him. Like I think of Matthew 7 um, when Jesus uh, shared the parable of the two men that built their houses. You know, one built the house on a rock and the other built his house on sand. And the, the wind came and the rains came and they beat down on those houses. And the house that was built on the rock stood firm and it didn't budge. But the house that was on the sand fell away immediately. Like you can be sure that the winds and the rain of life are coming to beat against you. And when they come, it might be too late, Right? Like in that moment, it might be too late. So the question this morning for you is, what is your foundation on? Like at the core of your life, who are you resting on? Who are you trusting in? So when these trials come, will you be prepared? Do you live with a sure and firm trust in God that he's good, he's sufficient, he's enough, 
for you. I'd like to speak to those briefly in the room who may say that this morning that they're not a follower of Jesus yet. First, I would say, hey, that's okay. Like, we're so glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Um, I'd love to have a conversation with you and talk about these things. But to you, I, I wanna say, like, when you face trials and when you face suffering and hardships, what do you do? Like, where, do you, where do you go? Um, do you get angry? Do you get sad? Do you get depressed? And when, if you do, like, what do you go to for relief from those things? Like to relieve your anger, to relieve your sadness, to relieve your depression. Is the way you handle hardships and suffering, is it satisfying to you? Like are you, are you okay with the way in which you deal with those things? In the midst of the pain, is there a deep contentment and, and comfort that you feel? Because that's ultimately what I'm inviting you into this morning to receive Jesus and to have that contentment despite circumstances being crazy in our lives. Again, 1 Peter 5, casting all your anxieties on Jesus because he cares for you. So there's good news for you this morning. There's good news for all of us that Paul, um, who we read about in 2 Corinthians 11, that experienced all those hardships, before he experienced those things on behalf of his Savior, he was a murderer. So let's read about that, Acts 7, 57. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and they rushed together at Stephen. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This was Paul before his name was changed. Acts 8, 1, and Saul approved of his execution. And Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He drug off men and women and committed them to prison. Acts 9, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to throw more followers of Jesus in prison. Now as he went on his way, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. He became blind and he fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. And a few verses later in 18, and immediately something like scales just fell off his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he arose and he was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. And immediately, what happens? He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the guy who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon Jesus? And has he not come here for the same reason to throw us in jail? But Saul increased all the more and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This man, Saul, who became Paul, was a murderer and a staunch opponent of Jesus. And then he meets Jesus and his life is changed forever. And because of Jesus, he experienced all of these things, these beatings, these hardships, these near-death experiences, all sorts of other things. So for those of us who follow Jesus this morning, we have a similar story in that before we meet Jesus, we're broken, we're sinful, we're separated from God, and we need someone to rescue us. But Jesus has done that. And after we meet Jesus, we're forgiven, we're made whole, we're set free because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Now, he has not guaranteed us the good life, <laughs> like whatever that means. Like we're not free from suffering, we're not free from trials, but we get him, right? And that should be enough. A healthy view of understanding that, that God gives us more than we can handle looks like this. I am utterly helpless and weak in this moment. I rest fully on the Lord and confess 
that in my weakest of moments, it's only the Lord that sustains me. When I am weak, he is strong. We pray for our circumstances to change. We want them to change. We want, we want to not feel that pain. But in the midst of it, we trust in him. We know that he's good and that he loves us. So again, he allows us to experience these things to know that when we're weak, he is strong in us, that he's sovereign over all suffering, that he is with us, that Jesus through his suffering accomplished the final victory on our behalf and he's given us other people that love God that we can experience this in community with to bear one another's burdens. So like Job, you may never see why you suffer, but because of Jesus, you can see God and may that be enough. Let's pray. Father, there are things that we experience in life that we just cannot explain that uh, cause us pain and that cause us hardship. And we wish that we could avoid them, if we're honest, but we're so thankful that you don't waste our pain and you don't waste our suffering and you don't waste our hardships. And you actually have a purpose in them. And so we, we ask that you help us to see a little bit of that, that you help us to see a little bit of your purpose in our pain to know what you would have us um, experience in these sufferings. God, we ask that you would help us to be faithful um, in the midst of trying times. But as Timothy, as Paul writes to Timothy, that even when we are faithless, you are faithful for you cannot deny ourself. So when we are trying to hang on to you, help us to remember that you are ultimately the one that hangs on to us. And there are times that we just wanna let go and we wanna hang on so hard. But God, we know that you're holding on to us even harder than we can hold on to you. So help us to remember that this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.